working. Oh, hi guys, this is Eleanor. So today I'm joining Dan Haas and Danny Wells on the podcast with Reptile and Chill because stop laughing, Danny. <laughs> I'm really trying not to. <laughs> so, so, anyway, <clears throat> Michael Phelps isn't on the podcast because he's too busy getting drunk and looking at cricket. And I, oh, I miss him so much. Can we tell the truth about what actually happened to Phelps? Go on then. Phelps tugged too hard. And he has snapped his banjo string. <laughs> that is what's happened. Hence why he can't make it this week. And uh, when he when he told us, uh, he said, "Are you, you going to be okay without me, guys?" Um, and I said, um, "Well, last week the podcast was just a bit too serious for me, so I am back this week. I've, we've pretty much kicked Phelps out." But thing is, though, he's completely screwed us over though because he's. <laughs> He's booked this week's guest. And I know. <laughs> we we really can't play up. We no. Sh- we shouldn't. No. We, we no. We, we well. I don't know. See, I've been toying with this all day, thinking: should we keep it kind? Of, should we try and keep it a little bit serious, or you know, should we just go fuck it? You know, it's reptile and chill. Let's go traditional. And then I thought, we can't change. Why change? Uh, you know, you know. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and stay serious, but you know, it's not gonna work. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to ask our guest what his opinion of what we should do is. Yeah, I think that's, that's what the now. Best. No, no. When he comes on, we'll, uh, we'll okay. ask him what, what, what the tone of the the show should be because our dad isn't here to look after us. Okay. Un- unless Mike's Fair already Mike. Ta- has Mike already had a word with him. Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, bear in mind, our guest has has just let us know that he's uh, going to be two or three wines in by the time he gets on. So, right, okay. Um, if I can make him swear, you've got to put ten, ten, <laughs> you've got to put ten pound in the pot. I've got to put ten pound in the pot. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll pay you ten pound. Oh, that doesn't. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go on then. You, but, you've got, but you've. But it's got to be a proper swear. It can't be ass or your butt or boobs. It's got to be fuck. Right. Okay. And anything, anything less than that is uh, is a fail okay. in my so, eyes. So, and and if I, you can't get him to say that, you owe you owe a tenner. Right. Okay. Um, I can do this. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. So, anyway, is, um, is Eleanor is Eleanor in on this bet? Um. She, she's lost a job, mate. Has she? Oh, I I thought we were roping her in to help a bit tonight because uh, Mike let us down. Well, yeah, I've, I've sent her in the kitchen to get beers. And what happened? Where Where is she? I don't know. On the floor, drunk. <laughs> I don't know. Come on. <laughs> God, that's so bad. <laughs> Hi. Right, so... I was just explaining that Michael Phelps isn't on the... Eleanor, shut up. Get off the microphone. Move. Oh, domestic. Oh, fuck. She's got her own microphone. Do you, do you know who... Do you know you could you could be up for a Grammy for this? You reckon? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I do. 
<laughs> I'll nominate you. Oh, right, okay. So, have you got anything exciting to talk about before we get the guest time? Oh, God. Um, when do you want Agony Danny? Um, we might have to do it now because I've got nothing exciting. Oh, actually, I do. I had a giant Cornish pasty today. A giant Cornish I mean, Cornish pasties are renowned for being quite big, right? So, what's a giant Cornish pasty? Okay. Well, I paid £6 for it. Oh God! Are you have you got more money than cents or? <laughs> it's a fucking it's a fucking big pasta. Oh, God, it sounds more like a giant pie. <laughs> it was um how can I put it? It got to have been nine inches in diameter. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was uh, full of meaty goodness. That's what okay. she said. <laughs> okay, you know, you know, you know, you know what, right? Um, there's nothing exciting to talk about this week. Mike's let us down. Um, <laughs> so, it's that time of the week. It's Agony Danny. <laughs> oh, they get better and better every week. I swear. Um, okay, so my Agony Danny for this week. Um, the, the the one thing I, going into... I'm just going to interrupt you there, right? Last week was ever so peaceful without you. <laughs> I know. I heard you, I heard you moaning about my moaning. <laughs> mm. so, this, so this week is going to be extra good. This week, going into Reptile Room 101, is uh, Sweaty Balls. Sweaty Balls? Yeah, that is exactly... That, that is that, yeah... That is my pet peeve this week. Sweaty balls are going into Reptile Room 101. Right, okay. So, um, is this when you're in your reptile room, or you want about sweaty balls in general? Just just sweaty balls in general. Right, okay. Can I give you a top tip? Do it. Talcum powder. What? Talcum powder makes me heave a little bit. What? Yeah, I can't do talcum powder. Uh, It is like a genuine phobia. My second tip is a kilt. <laughs> no, because I'll end up like Mike and get my tackle out halfway down the street. <laughs> oh, oh, oh I, for- I forgot about that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to oh, remind you every single week, dude. No. This t- week, right? This week has been lovely, hasn't it? The weather. Um, no. To no, to a degree. No, right. So oh. you know, we had those like three really hot days. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Hoss is very intelligent, so he bought a swimming pool. Right. He filled it up, put the chemicals in, put the cover on. It's rained every fucking day since. <laughs> it hasn't rained here. We've got like a spit, and that's about it. See, what what it is, is over here, because we're, cause we're quite near the coast... It gets we get those days where they're where it's extra warm. I'm talking 27, 28 degrees, but it's still cloudy, like it's muggy. Like the weather is just muggy. It's dull. It's hot, and all your clothes stick to you. You're sweaty. You're clammy, and all I can stri- describe it as is your balls are just moist. I'm not being funny all what, day what, long. What you've described is exactly what I'm like before breakfast every morning. What you you're like moist balls? No, clammy and sweaty and slightly irritable. Clammy and you should have a shower. I I just need food. <laughs> well, if you eat, you stop sweating. You thought withdrawal. 
Man, I wish that worked for me. <laughs> how many how many people do you think are, are like cringing and swearing at me right now for saying moist? Ah, oh, what what's that thing that um Luce Capelli does with the two microphones where he goes like <sighs> moist? <laughs> I don't know. What's this? I need to see this. Moist. Can we play it now? Can we play it? Can we play it on the podcast? I think there's a copyright on it. Moist. Ah, oh, damn. Danny, you're not you're not doing it with me. Oh, uh, oh! Can we? Can you count me in or something? Okay, one, two, three. Moist, moist, moist. Ah, oh, that uh, that made me moist. I mm, I am moist. Moist. <laughs> oh God, how many listeners? How many listeners do you think we've lost? At least all of them. Definitely all of them. <laughs> How, how annoyed how annoyed do you think Phelps is right now um, he's going to come on next week lads this happens every time well, <laughs> well guys, he said you guys do the podcast on your own and it just goes to shit <laughs> he did say if he gets home in time he's going to come on but the thing is he's been drinking since 10 o'clock this morning so I am uh, going to I am going to say right now Phelps isn't allowed on the show tonight yeah no he's sacked he's going to come on and he's <laughs> oh, to, to start with, he can't set his head his headpiece up on on a normal week without a drink. Imagine him trying to do it when he's pissed. Jeez, that is very that is very true. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I dread, I dread to think the actual, actual like absolute conundrum he'd have himself in. Yes, I think so... he'd actually get wrapped around his own beard. <laughs> oh god, boys, <laughs> oh, I'm so drunk. <laughs> is my headset working? Do you reckon, like do you reckon you need to ring Sam and say? They've left me to set up my own equipment. <laughs> they've walked. They've left me. I'm all on my own. I'm lost. <laughs> oh. yeah. Anyways, I, I have got something to update you on. Mm-hmm. So, last week we spoke a bit about, um, well, we speak about it quite a lot, about the whole being a bit more green, um, recycling, plastic, gladi, and la. So, I've bought a stainless steel bottle. Um, mm-hmm. from the Go Turtle Foundation and mm-hmm. basically the money that goes towards saving the turtles and all that. And I've mm-hmm. also bought a bamboo lunchbox. Um, mm-hmm. Are they it, the ones from um, Asda? Tesco's? No, it was all from Amazon. Um, oh, was it? It's, it's yeah, they're doing, them in, they're doing them in the supermarkets now. The exact same one, I yeah. see. So my idea is that every day I use so much cling film or tin foil uh-huh. and I'm forever buying bottles of water. And I kind of calculated how many bottles of water on average our drivers at work use a day and mm-hmm. how many that is a year and how much that weighs and it was like somewhat daft like seven kilos worth of plastic yeah that's, now, uh, that's, now, a, that's a lot well, seven kilos doesn't sound like a lot right no it is but you, it you've is got to think how light plastic. A, pl- a plastic bottle's less than 40 grams mm-hmm. you know what i mean well, it's completely less than that it's like I think there's some stupid like twenty grams of plastic bottle is. That's mm-hmm. a shit ton of plastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have the faith in the bin men. And I watch them do it. They come along and we you know, we spend all the time separating the recyclables into the, you know, your main rubbish. And the bastards come along and put it all in the one fucking truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's going on? What I've noticed what? as I've noticed as well, um, recently. I don't know if this is the same anywhere or if anybody else has noticed this, <clears throat> but the binman round here on recycling day, mm-hmm. 
um, we put our food out as well. You have a food so bin? You, the, the, yeah, you know the little ones, the little little diddy food bins? I haven't got a food bin. Yeah, we have a little food bin. So we have our green bin for recycling, the black bin for general, and then the little little food bin. It's like the same. It's the same sort of principle, but really small. It's like a foot tall, and you put it out with the um, with the other bin, and it all just goes into the same bin and into the same truck. Now tell me how that makes sense. It's fucking stupid. It really is. Um, it makes no sense to so me. So my new method um, is I'm trying to create as much or as less waste as possible. Um, so if I can get rid of bottles. Um, if I, I'm buying, I went to Asda yesterday, and rather than buying a small pasta, I bought a massive sack. Mm-hmm. So that should last me longer. Obviously, less plastic as well. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I do. Um, it's good. It's good to do those little things. I, I have sort of for work. I have um, like, do you know the um, you know the big workout bottles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a keg, aren't they? Big plastic thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, I have that every day. Um, it just gets washed up. Um, and then sometimes, to be fair, sometimes I do buy um, bottles of water, like like fruit water, you know. Um, but I always this is this is the little the, the little tiny contributions I'm trying to make here and there. I always buy the big ones, so they last me a couple of days. Obviously, then they get recycled. Do you know what I mean? But I, I steer clear of the like the smaller bottles of water. Yeah, because um, thirty seconds later, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I buy the big ones. You know, I, I always try and do my best to buy the biggest I can, because then you're getting the most out of that um, single-use plastic. You know, instead of it lasting literally half an hour, it's lasting two or three days or something like that. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just little things like that, you know, and then you, my other drinks and stuff, I'll, I'll buy in cans, um, you know, which are obviously fully recyclable, so. Well, I was, I was saying to Mike last week, I went to a news agent's by me, and I was looking for a bottle of water, and I saw this can, I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Picked it up, it was water in a can. How cool is that? Are they the black and white cans? Complete, like matte. A complete white matte can. Yeah. Yeah, they um, do. See, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the only part that baffles me with them is, yes, it's great. They're all in aluminium can or whatever it is, tin can. It's aluminium these days, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but they put the plastic shutters on top, don't they? Yeah. So you've got the, you, you can close the lid, can't you? You know, like the big cans of Monster, yeah, they have yeah. that plastic shutter on. See, that's what I'm, you, you, you're getting an aluminium you get a structure that's aluminium and then they're putting this, this big bit of plastic on the top, which defeats the object of what they're trying to oh, do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's no one, there's no one going through all this stuff. Is there picking off these bits of plastic, separating it? That, that, that doesn't, that just doesn't happen. Does it? Surely well, no, it makes it harder to recycle. Um, if, I, don't yeah. if, I don't know if any of our listeners have got anything they want to add, but if there's anything that you guys, do at home or you've seen or you're thinking of doing or anything you know generally uh, your views on recycling and being a little bit more eco-friendly and being the green big monster machine thing mm. um get in touch and let us know because it's something that I, i'm I, i'm quite into it um and I, I am lazy i love the idea of it and i love the morals behind it and i do try but sometimes you just you you, you forget and you just, you know, you, you, you do, you end up buying something or not putting something in the correct bin or whatever. And 
you know, I suppose it's just laziness. But if there's anything that you guys do to make things easier, um, get in touch. And if your opinion is stop recycling, stop listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to hear your opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion, but it's wrong. Um, <laughs> keep, keep it <laughs> Rob, to yourself. Rob, yeah, Rob, Rob Pilly shared the um, shared a, a post the other day um, saying that the EU um, is looking to go completely plastic-free or single-use plastic-free. Um, so they're trying to ban all single-use plastics, um, which is really cool. Um, and I, I actually shared it with the caption, oh, now Brexit is looking even less desirable. <laughs> <laughs> um but I do. I genuinely do think that's the way forward because, let's let's face it. If these bottles of water and bottles of drink and and all these plastics in the supermarkets weren't available, obviously they'd have to figure out another way around it. It could take three or four years to actually um, happen and come into effect. Maybe even longer. Maybe even ten years. But at least it's a step in the right direction. But we've lived without them once. We can live without them again. Surely. Yeah, and what gets me right, so glass, you know, years ago, Coca-Cola was in glass bottles, and you can still get it in glass bottles, which is easier to recycle. Aluminium is easier to recycle. Why, when I go into a newsagent or a corner shop or whatever, is the majority of the drinks in plastic bottles? It's all... It's it's like we've got 500ml cans now, you know, I drink enough Monster to know this, so Mm -hmm. why can't I put them in there? And you know, it's literally, it's got to be that it's more convenient because you can open and close it. It's more convenient. Obviously, it's it's better for shelf life. But but the, um, but the thing is, though, you, you can get metal screw tops. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, the health juices and that kind of thing have a metal screw a screw top. And they're yeah. perfectly fine. And but also, plastic is incredibly cheap. Yeah, but it's... And, that, and, that, and that's the problem with society. But what, what's, it's all, what's, it's all about convenience What's and money. eventually going to come in... Is they're gonna they're gonna put a tax on it if you've got a plastic product, they're gonna they're gonna start taxing it, um, mm-hmm. and then everyone's then gonna have to spend all the money to revert over to other sources or pay the tax. Yep. You know, and it's um, it's just no good. You know, it's um. Oh, they'll they'll, they'll make the money somewhere because, like I say, that's 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 all that's what it's all about money. That's all it ever is, isn't it? All it boils down to. <clears throat> Unfortunately, mate. Yeah, that, that is the society we live in these days. Money is everything, and it's evil. It is evil, um, but what can we do? I oh, know it's um, it's depressing. It really is. God, we said we were going to have a really good fun podcast, and we were going to. I don't know what us. happened. And now we started what, talking it, about this, and I'm properly deflated now. Like it went downhill from sweaty balls. Oh, yeah, it's your fault. I I take full blame. Oh. Moist. Moist. <laughs> I wonder if you could do that and put a nice reverb on it. Eleanor. Just to piss all the... Eleanor. Oh, here she comes. Meist. <laughs> oh, God. She has the accents. She has the accents. Can we say moist? <laughs> Go on, right. You do it. How many accents? I'll count you do it. Oh, I'm not very good with accents. <laughs> I'm fucking terrible, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I think I, I'm pretty sure they're all going to sound the same, aren't they? It's one of those words that doesn't really have moist, moist, moist. She did Peter Niche, Peter Niche, moist. 
that, that's a that, that's a moist leopard gecko. Oh, you really weren't kidding. <clears throat> oh, brilliant! Absolutely fantastic. Well, we got absolute. We've got ten more minutes. Oh, he's on the start. Mm-hmm. He's on the starting blocks. Oh, what's that mean? I don't know. Oh, that, that means he's ready, right? Does that mean he's got his bum up in the air? He's not. He's not a fucking lemur. <laughs> ready? Oh, ready. Okay. Okay, he's ready. Call him in. Don't be shy. In gone, in gone. I've had a Snapchat of someone. Oh God! Let's get Snapchat. Well, I've never had a Snapchat of anyone before. No one. I don't even know how any friends on there. Ooh. Right, okay, I'm ringing him in. Um, let's see what happens. Um, there we go. He's half there. He's almost there. See him? Yes. Oh, yeah. he's, he's, he's there, but he's sort of diluted. Oh. Come, Come on. on, he can do it. Hello. There he is. How are you? <laughs> Splendid, young man. Splendid. Good, good. How are you? You're good, yeah? I've got the computer set up, but the old... um, The tablet kicked in, so we charged up with the tablet... And we're rocking. Now, do you want video or not? Oh, no, no. No, no video. You don't want to see us, mate. <laughs> Oi! Oh, no, I've... <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> oh, no I've, I've just got out of the shower. You don't need to see that. Um, I probably would turn your video off, Roman, because of uh, Wi-Fi. It may interfere with the signal. But as, yeah, be- as beautiful great. as you are. <laughs> right, okay then. Um, do you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you're about? Um, well, I'm about five foot nine, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm nearly seventy. Retired. Used to work at Westland Helicopters, um, and so all the stuff I do is really based on the engineering that I did. This is like, um, you know, um, tonight, Matthew, I'm going to bed. They describe who they are first. And then at the end, <laughs> he's gonna go, yeah, and he, at the end, he's going to go, and I'm Roman. Oh, I'm Roman. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did already say his name, though, Hoss. You gave it away. Well, true, true. You did yeah, what Phelps did last week. <laughs> right, as, as you were, mate. Okay, so um, engineering background, I was... Uh, uh, head of flight control systems for about 10 years, so a lot of physics in that. And then I <clears throat> led on with the installation of systems in the aircraft, specifications for things like the Apache and the Peasants aircraft. So things like optical systems came in to play, lots of physics. But the important thing to take away from that is the stuff I did, and I had an airworthiness signature, meant that I had to check that what I was signing off was right. It was technically accurate. Okay. And so now I've left there, that mentality is impossible to shift. If, so if you're you, doing stuff, it's got you, to be technically accurate. And mm-hmm. that's really where I come from with my stuff that I do with lights and heat. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've come, <clears> away, you've come away from it with uh, chronic OCD then? Uh, no, it's not OCD. <laughs> that's what you did for a job. Um, you, um, no, I'd, 
do you know what the, the the guys I had working for me were much much worse than I was. I was a softy <laughs> really. Um, but all the time, all the time, I always kept turtles. And when I went abroad, I had to get rid of them, and then I came back and I got got them back. So um, I guess I've always been. I, I caught my first painted turtle in New Hampshire, Freedom, in 1974. Still remember it. Yeah. It was a bright red male, um, and it was just swimming along. And I dived in and I, I fished it out, and it was beautiful. And and I've kept painted turtles, on and off all the time since then. And um, that was um, and that was, that was what kicked off the passion, was it? No, I always had the passion. I always had crested newts, but mm-hmm. this little red jewel that was floating in the water in America, mm-hmm. um, just lit an extra light. Yeah, um, and the fact it was America. I love America. I've been, I lived in America, two or three times with with the job stuff, um, and I, I, you know, Phoenix Herb Society and Indianapolis Herb Society and all the stuff went on in New York. Um, just love America and the fact that this was an American turtle that was just so pretty um, caught my imagination. It was, it was just, and I've and I've had them since, and I've. I've still got them now. Um, okay, so what what else are you currently keeping, Roman? I've got um, painted turtles. I've had all four species, subspecies, but I had too many. I didn't want to interbreed too much. And, you know, the chances of getting cross-breeding, I didn't want. So I, I sold those on. I've got um, a good collection of spotted turtles, which I'm breeding, but I've got... I've got a couple of strains that are really nice in terms of colour and 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 robustness. There was a spate about ten years ago when the, a lot of captured turtles, wild caught ones, um, were brought into the country, um, and some of them weren't very well. And so people that did have them had uh, problems with illnesses and losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never had any of those, so. Um, Thankfully, I know, I know someone whose collections were just decimated by this stuff. But luckily, I, I'm quite strong on on um, separating my animals when I get them. You know, mm-hmm. quarantine, yeah. biosecurity, and stuff. And 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 in that instance, it it paid off. I never had any of those problems. Okay. I've to... got box turtles. Always like box turtles. I've got I don't know ten or so, which I'm growing on, which are doing very nicely, which I got from Spain. Uh, what else have I got? Lots of rescues, and I've got no lizards at the moment. That's it. I don't believe in overkeeping. I don't believe in small cages. Um, anything, even for a spotted turtle that's under six feet by two feet, is too small. I know people keep them in smaller, but these are such interesting animals with such a variety of characters and characteristics. That keeping them in anything smaller just won't give them the opportunity to show off their best points. Okay. Um, so, so, do you want to do you want to run us down um, how you keep your spotted turtles? What kind of what the size of the enclosure, the filtration, and then most got, importantly, your heating and lighting. I've got a dome, which is a polycarbonate dome, um, and it's a, it's a thing called a geodesic dome, which has got 
designed years ago the, the maths by a chap called Buckminster Fuller. And if you get particular shapes and you tie them together, it becomes a dome. And since a lot of the radar domes you see around the countryside are, are geodesic like that. Um, and when I retired, I wanted to do a couple of things and I, I built myself a geodesic dome. Um, which is, it's about, I don't know, four metres, four metres across and about nine, nine feet, three and a half, four metres tall. Um, mm -hmm. And I've got three ponds in there where I keep my, I keep five of my turtles in there. Um, and they, they're in there all the time. It's not heated. It gets, I wanted to get a warmer environment than you would get in the UK. More they should get, say, in the Carolinas or the lower east coast of America, which is very humid and very warm. And and it does that. I don't heat it in the winter, so um, it does get cold. But I've, I've got subtropical plants in there because I, I do stop frost getting there. And the animals have laid... So it's like three ponds connected that they can go in between and a big land area which uh, they can lay eggs in. And they've laid eggs in there and they've hatched in there uh, naturally. I used to have eyed lizards in with them, and they've bred in there. But I went off on holiday one year and found that there was no baby turtles left. Uh, <laughs> and, so I got rid of the, and so I got rid of the eye. Well, that's £120 a pot for live food, isn't it? That's not much fun, I don't think. <laughs> oh, man, I'd, I'd have been absolutely fuming. Well, no, it's just nature, isn't it? it, it you know, I, it, it was just... Um, it was sad that the young ones went, but on the other hand... The eyed lizards were in great condition. Um, they went on to um, to a certain South African that's now left the country. Well, we can't um, we can't say you know. Um, there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain um, herpetologist um, that rhymes with Boza. We're not allowed to mention him, and we're not allowed to mention that um, th that one you just mentioned as well. Bad things happen. <clears throat> well, anyway, they they've gone off and they they've had a fabulous home, and they they're still in a fabulous home. And they're doing very well. And they're still very, very pretty lizards. Um, I did have some other lizards in there, the uh, the blue uh, spiny-tailed lizards that, um, from North America. But it was it was too humid for them, so they went. Um, what else have I got? I've got, oh, I've probably got about a dozen ponds. When I, when, they, when I get the young, which I hatch in a fridge, in an in a incubator, um, they go out straight out into a pond outside. It's a sort of sort of eight foot by four foot wide, uh, very shallow pond, about a foot deep, not even that, full of weed. And they go in in the autumn, and I don't touch them at all until late spring. Mm -hmm. I, there's sprouts spawn in there, and they will hibernate themselves. They will feed off the frog spawn and the creatures and the insects, and come middle of the summer. Um, and then start feeding them. If they survive, then they're strong enough, and if they don't, they, they're not strong enough. So, And they're quarantined from all the other animals, so I know that my youngsters are really very healthy um, and fit for the wild. Um, so the, the other ponds, I've got um, a group of four specially red-coloured ones, and I've got another pond with the animals that are super, super good-looking and and um, I think might get good potential for future breeding. So, um, spotted turtles everywhere. And then I've got a greenhouse with me, painted turtles and my 
box turtles running around, and I've got lots of baby, little babies which um, I give to sell to people that show particular interest. I don't sell to people that off the cuff. They've got a pet to be for a long time, and then I'll sell them. Um, <laughs> because you know, I don't want casual buyers. Yeah. These are too good animals to uh, to sell any other way. Um, mm -hmm. And that's it. How lighting, all of it's natural. Mm -hmm. Outside, I don't supplement at all. Um, that's a lie. I have a little spotlight, an infrared spotlight that I have in the dome in the spring if I think I need to give them a boost. But I didn't have it on this year and I didn't have it on last year. Is that the um, um, is that the only form of artificial lighting you're using, or are you using any other? Um, no. See, the greenhouse has got the greenhouse has got um, UV transmitting plastic, and it's got the dome has got glass that's transparent to UV to fifty percent. So they get enough UV in there for mm -hmm. um, doing the stuff that UV does, um, and I don't supplement it. The infrared goes through the glass perfectly well so I don't need to supplement and frankly um, the animals prefer the infrared heat through choice um, than they do UV um, because they get UV for free mm -hmm. the females in my greenhouse which can go in and out of the greenhouse to another pond the female painted there's one will be outside all through spring and then when she's ready to lay eggs she'll go in the greenhouse and get extra warmth so if you give them space and you know your animals you'll see patterns in their behavior which you won't see in a small box yeah. and that's that's really quite telling and they've all got characters in the in the dome the two of the females have made friends with two of the other females and they'll be there and in the spring they'll move to the other pond They'll beat the male up, and then in the spring they're all friends again, and they move. <laughs> they move from pond to pond with the seasons, and they've got mm -hmm. their little places. So if you keep them in the middle box, they don't get that, and and, no. and it's a shame because you're missing out on them. They make mm -hmm. perfect, fantastic ponds, pond pets. If you've got a six-foot pond and you want to put a spotted turtle in it, and you stop it escaping, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Evers are tame, and they come up and feed, and the kids like them, the visitors like them. Recommend them. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's um, it's a totally different outlook on it. You know, m most people are very kind of like, right, okay, I've got I've got this tank, I've got this aquarium, what can I keep in it? And what you've done is you've gone right, okay, I've got this animal, how can I keep it to its fullest yeah, potential? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and this is where AHH was so uh, important to me because it was espousing a an idea that I thought was absolutely right is that glass boxes are out <laughs> in most situations for most reptiles small boxes are inappropriate you've got youngsters I raise my youngsters in smaller boxes to stop them getting bitten tails to make sure they're feeding etc etc when I started now with more confidence um, and resources I can pull them out in the big pond and I I can say if they survive, they survive. But if you've just spent 150 quid on a young spotted turtle and you've never kept them before, you want to molly cuddle them, molly cuddle, cuddle them a bit. And I understand that. And, and if you've got some snake that you've just hatched and you've done it for the first time, you want to really look after it. And I understand that. 
-hmm. but with ex with time and experience I also know that give them the, the space and give them a bit of wildness and in the end you will end up with better animals that's mm -hmm. just my own my own view, I think mate. I think that's uh, I think that's the overall dream hello Okay. Isn't it for for everyone? It's for, for, certainly Hello? myself. I'd love to keep. To be honest, I'd love to keep. Well, all you see, I'm lucky. I've got the space. Could, but... You know, and I'm, I'm retired, so I've got the time. But not everybody's that lucky, and I and I and I'm yeah. privileged to to, to to be in that position. Well, okay. Um. So we've spoken about what you keep and how yeah. you keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, I think it's the overall dream, really. Yeah. Can, can you guys hear me? Hmm. Sorry. Can, can, yeah. you, can you hear me? Yeah. You tried the light. Yeah. It went dead a bit yeah, then. Okay. Um. Okay, so we've we've spoken about um what you keep and how you keep it. Yeah. Um, before we go into the nitty gritty, uh, do you want to mention the um the H H conference in New Mexico? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ha. I I did the first A H conference in in the UK. We started off like a little pub thing that we were going to meet up, um, and it and it grew up very quickly into being a two day event. And then the second one happened, and then the third one happened. And the guys in America, and we, we've got a big audience now in America, um, said, well, you know, we want one in America. And, and we said, yeah, and there were lots of volunteers. And, and a couple of, we started the ball rolling, and a couple of people dropped out. And then Fran says, well, I'd like to do one, because I want this chap um, to speak, and I want, and, and so Sam and Fran, really said, shit, we've got to make this happen. Oh. Um, I, I bought in, and so we are making it happen, and we're going to make it happen on the 27th and the 28th of September this year in uh, the Chiracua Desert Museum. In uh, It's actually in New Mexico, but it's on the border with Arizona. Um, and it was special to me because, A, I spent three years in Arizona working with Boeing on the Apache, so I knew the area really well. And also, that reprobate Tel Hicks, who lives, just down, <laughs> who lives just down the road from me, also did a few paintings of, of um, rattlesnakes that he'd seen out and about. So he'd got this connection with um, Bob Ashley in, in, the, in the same museum. And so we, we thought we'd make a great place for a... Um, first conference with the HH and we're hitting a, a, an area that Americans don't seem to have really hit and that is um, we think education and educating the, the keeper is um, is key to our ethos and I think it's it's something we would very much like to promote and and mm -hmm. it's been welcomed very very well with um, with several people out there and we've got a great set of speakers and I wasn't bright enough to prepare what they were so um, so in the first instance if you listen to this this and you're American there is um, a link which I shall send to you guys if you could put it up on your Facebook page yeah, not a problem. Um, mm -hmm. and then then people then connect up with the, who the speakers are and and what the prices are and how to get tickets Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely, um, some wonderful speakers. Um, the one that speaks to mind is Russ Gurney. Mm -hmm. He's going to speak about his um, <laughs> tegus. He breeds tegus, mm -hmm. and um, I've always been fascinated by them. And to hear him say how he's going to do 
how he breeds them and 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 the business of keeping them and, and their red and their intelligence is the, the other aspect so i think it'll be a, a talk um, yeah i think you've got our we had a guest on last week ari flagel i think he's coming doing a talk there oh, as yeah. well isn't he yeah. he's yeah. a um, lo- lovely bloke that'd be a really good talk to listen to mm-hmm. so um there's that and the other thing i you know, just to say hi to is that um the Re- reptile rescue center up in hadlow college um they've got an open day fundraising thing on the 10th of August, uh, which I'll be going to just provide support. And I'll bring some lamps and stuff. So if you want to come along to that, um, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to ask questions, answer questions, and, and deal with that. It, we've got to give get some money into that system. We can't afford to let um, the centre go down. So we're fighting tooth and nail to do everything we can to um, keep it stable and running. It does. Okay. It does seem to be. It, it seems to be booming now. Now it's all kicked well, off. It seems to be doing really well. I, I know Chris from way way back, along with with Tell, because uh, I think Chris was Tell's milk boy at one stage um, <laughs> when Tell was doing the milk round. So you know, the, the old so many part, images in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> um, go back a bit, and and Chris has put his whole life on. On, on a whole what he's doing this mm-hmm. and um, so any support we can give him to, to make that happen and it's good for the reptile industry as well definitely so I, well, we, me and Danny have both been down to the centre and he's, he has done um, he's done an absolutely marvellous job um, mm-hmm. the, Fran and I have been over there several times to talk about lighting and power and power management and, and heat losses and um, risk assessments so i know that he's trying to solicit the help from the best sources of knowledge the vets the uh, quarantine section he's he's actually trying to do the best he can and there's a whole lot of limitations that go with that um, power management in that he's got several tens of kilowatts heating that place so he's had to cool it um, mm-hmm. so you can't put too much heat in it so how you the basking spots how do you time it if there's a power cut and it mm-hmm. all comes on at the same time imagine the surge of power so it's a matter of timing the lights so they come on consecutively so all of those physical engineering things we've talked through um, what lights to use where do you put them do you have different sections for different animals um, how much UV do you have in each section? Do you have different sections with UV and lamps? What about cool sections? What about big animals? All those questions we we did the best to produce a, a good working solution. It's not perfect, but you know what? No. It's so much better than you'll see anywhere else. I'm really mm. proud of what he's done. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing place. Yeah, sorry, we must have gone off track here. Huh? No, it's fine. It's good. It's fine. Uh, I, 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 I want to hear your most embarrassing story of Chris. There isn't any. Oh, come on. There isn't any. There is fibbing. (laughs) Well, apart from him being dressed as a crocodile walking up and down Doncaster. Um, What? (laughs) Yeah. There's got to be photos. And and when you see a drunk Chris crocodile... One o'clock in the morning, it takes on a, it takes on a whole different significance. But but that that might have been just my imagination. It may never have happened. Oh come on! 
<laughs> he's hot. He's holding back, isn't he, Hoss? He's holding he's, he back. I'm not. I'm. I'm not one on telling tales. Not on me, mates. Oh, right, okay. So, right. Obviously, you know what we do with mental health. This is how I'm going to get it out of him. Right. There's two things that I'm going to ask you to do. Right. Yeah. So for every tale you tell on Chris Newman, or um, who else, or, or tell, tell as well, yeah. I, will put yeah. a, I will put a pound out of my own pocket into that. And also, Danny set me a challenge, and I don't think you're going to do it. But if he said, if I can get Roman to swear on the podcast, I've got to donate. Well, he's going to donate £10 to Mental Health UK. So oh, technically, do it then, aren't you? There you go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, Roman. Ouch. That's good. No, I don't. I, I, it's. I'm pleased that you think that I don't cuss. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I must say, I've already heard you say shit already. So no, but that's, 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 not, I, it's not a proper swear word, is it? though? it's that's not, true. It's, that's true. It's a it's a casual adjective, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but, oh, no, that's, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> any money you throw in that, that pot or anybody listening, throwing money in that pot is a good thing. And what uh, Susie did with, um, with her crocodile, no, he's a dinosaur, she did, didn't she? Um, just, just wonderful, wonderful. Anyway, no, moving you've on. Lost you've, you've lost me, what? Susie you... Simpson, yeah. Susie Simpson's one of the lecturers at Hadlow College. Uh-huh. Okay. She's also on the committee of the British Herpetological Society, and okay. she's doing an absolutely fantastic job on the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of her fundraising, she dressed up and did a small marathon, dressed up as a as a um, dinosaur, with the proceeds okay. going with the proceeds going to um, to Chris's cause. What oh, brilliant! Rest what's her so, What's her name again? Susie. Susan Simpson. Oh, Susan Simpson. Fair play. What's Susie? Awesome. I think she's Susie Simpson. Now, if you do, if you do, uh, throw in some money to this, why don't mm-hmm. you throw that money at Susie Simpson to put into a pot? Okay, we can yeah. do that. That's not a problem. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can take credit for that on your Facebook page, and you'll get credit for that on the BHS page. I, I just wanted to hear Romans I swear word, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's Susie Simpson in a in a dinosaur outfit, much much better. Anyway, okay, so let's get on to infrared and what? Uh, well, I I saw your talk at one of the AHH conferences and it absolutely blew my mind. And I was really struggling with the concept of understanding how the light spectrum worked and you had this really good analogy of how you put it together using speakers do you want to explain yeah. that to our listeners please yeah yeah um do you know the problem with light is that it's so complicated and nobody ever teaches it really thoroughly at school or at college or even sometimes at university. And so the concept of there being light which you can't see is really difficult to grasp. Um, Secondly, if you don't understand the subject, explaining it to people means you're going to fail. 
and and I've the first conference I did in 2016, or whenever it was, it was blooming ages ago. I, I I sort of introduced the idea, but it's it wasn't it wasn't a solid idea. It wasn't a solid way of selling stuff. But every then I realised that everybody knew about loudspeakers. We were all hi-fi buffs with tweeters and mid-range speakers and woofers and woofers and crossover <laughs> frequencies. We, most 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 people understand that they they've got a hi-fi system in the room with. They can see the speaker with the tweeters and the, and the thingy, and they know that all the power comes out the woofers. You don't know where it's coming from, but you can hear it and you can feel it. And then, then it struck me that the light that we throw in at our animals, which we can hear, yeah, is, mm-hmm. which we, the light we can see is sort of analogous to the sound we can hear. And the short, the short wave sounds that we hear like like the high frequency stuff which is what the bats use for hunting it's just like the short wave um that you get on ultraviolet it's very precise it don't necessarily um travel very far and it gets blocked by bigger atoms but when it hits it's really piercing and it has a real effect and sound is just the same with 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 high frequency sound you can tell exactly pinpoint it where it ha- where it's from but it travels more in straight lines and it mm-hmm. um gets cancelled out easier it it hasn't got the power that a big bass speaker has mm-hmm. so and also they're smaller you you can get away with less um power in a tweeter because they're more piercing mm-hmm. you know um and so you don't have to have big tweeters, um, but you do need to have them. And and for spatial awareness, you've got to have them in the right place. Same thing with UV. Um, is, is the pie chart I sent you available on, on the Facebook page? We will put it up, yeah. Okay. It, it will be. Now, now, if you look at the pie chart, if of the, the bits in the pie chart, there are the three biggest segments are UVA and UVB. Mm-hmm visible light and infrared yeah yeah mm-hmm. they're the biggest sections well nature a clever bloody thing it is went and sorted itself out and decided it would use the energy that's most available and so it, it picked on uv because each of those wavelengths just like with sound add to different qualities of what you hear same as each of the wavelengths adds different qualities of what you see. So mm-hmm. with with UV, um, that wavelength is is a wavelength that penetrates superficially to the skin, but energizes bits in the body that help produce D3 and all the stuff that Fran talks about. I won't go into the technical stuff here because hey, I haven't got any notes, um, and I'm, she B she does it much much better than I do. Then we flip on to the visible light, which is the biggest part. And visible light is like the the voice speakers in your loudspeaker system. If you were to take away the, the tweeters and the bass units, the sound of the system would still work. You'd still understand what you were getting. 
you still understand the spoken word and the information coming from the TV or from the hi-fi. It mm -hmm. just wouldn't be as good. Okay. So it's like the mid-range. So it's like the mid-range. Like mid this is the yeah. visible light that mm -hmm. we have from sort of um, violet through to, to red. That, mm -hmm. You can still see everything with your eyes, but some of the qualities of the light you're missing. Ultraviolet mm -hmm. for D3 and infrared for um, th physical stuff, which we'll get onto in a minute. So then we get onto the base speakers, and the base speakers provide the power and they provide the quality, the long wavelengths. Out when you're sitting in a field and you're listening to the sound of the background noise, what you hear is a rumble. And that's the bass sound you hear. You don't hear the tweety bits. You don't hear the rattles and stuff. You hear the rumble. And the same thing with heat. The heat mm -hmm. isn't heat. The um, infrared isn't as directional as as um, visible light. And it stops being directional s somewhere well into the infrared. Infrared A is still quite directional, and it can be focused with a lens. And we can see that on some of the the heat projectors are out there. So, um, just like if you want good quality sound to enjoy your hi-fi, you need all three kinds of wavelengths. So you need with light, you need ultraviolet, you need visible light, and then you need the infrared. Now what the infrared does is it provides a particular kind of infrared, the infrared A, which is, when you're at a bonfire, you put your hands in front of the bonfire, what you see is, is glowing embers. Yeah? Yeah. That's infrared. Mm -hmm. That's the colour of infrared. A little bit of red and a little bit of invisible black charcoal, which is still radiating heat. Mm -hmm. And you put your hands to it and you can feel it. Mm -hmm. It's like a tingle. It is, well, however you want to call it. But it, it, is a, it is a sort of a lovely feeling, like... When you're on a sunbed and you can feel that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you go on holiday and you sit out in the sun, you're actually taking in the rays and you're feeling the infrared hitting you. When you sit in front of a radiator in your hotel room, you don't get any of that, although the room may be just as warm. So the, the kind of mm -hmm. wave that you get is important. Um, and so the infrared starts, there's sort of visible red, um, and then moves on to invisible black, but it's still infrared. And then it moves further and further, and it changes quality as a lamp, as, as, as a wavelength, until it gets to uh, room temperatures. Now, when, we, when you're listening to me, this voice that you're hearing, in that voice you're hearing some higher content and lower content, and all of those sounds come together to produce my voice. Yeah? Yeah. So when you see that graph on, on TV screens of somebody speaking, you see lots of peaks and troughs and stuff. That's a combination of several different frequencies being combined together. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's what you see. Well, light is just the same. When you look at, um, what you say? I'm looking at a tree now or a television screen, I'm seeing the, the, the white, which is a combination of all colours. I'm seeing a blue stripe from the Facebook. Well, that's the blue colour coming at me. 
um, and I'm looking at my books above it, and they're reflecting the light they're seeing. But what we're not seeing, which is some of the base notes, what we're not seeing is that the the invisible light, the infrared, is also coming off there. The wood's got a temperature, and that wood, the, the shelf that the books are sitting on, that is transmitting infrared. We just don't see it and we don't feel it because we're at the same temperature. But everything you see is radiating wavelengths all the time, but only some of them we see. And what we see is a reflection of the light coming from the sun. That's why we don't see bugger all at night. Okay. So this was um, this was this was fascinating when they they um, they created a video on um, how chameleons really change their colour, and it was all it was all down to the um, these uh, kind of reflectors in their skin, um, yeah. and how they actually they almost move different parts to the surface that reflect different colours. So it's all about the light bouncing off them that changes their colour. Uh, what we see, really cool. what we see, with the exception of of artificial lights and um, phosphorescence, what we see, every single light we see, everything we see, is a result of reflected light. Mm -hmm. it, none of it is generating light. What we're seeing is what's reflected. And so the greens that we're seeing is on a tree when you're seeing green reflected, it means that the other colours are being absorbed. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were to look at the tree with an infrared, you might see a different thing altogether, and you'd see where the heat is being collected. Mm -hmm. And and I'm still getting my head around some some of these things, how they work. And for guys that haven't been involved in, in any forms of physics, this must be really hard to grasp. Really mm. hard to grasp. Um, and I struggle sometimes to, to try and make this as straightforward as I can. And I do apologise if sometimes no, no, I, I get... Think... To be honest, look, the way you describe it as a speaker, like I said when I heard it at the at Drayton Manor, it made so much more sense. Um, so, obviously, you've just explained that. So, in terms of bulbs and tubes and that kind of thing, when we're going to set up a vivarium, could you give yeah. us some examples of what kind of equipment would be appropriate to what part of the speaker? I've... I've, I've, I've... I've played with all sorts of tubes and lamps and things um, to to see what works. And each each week, each month, there's something new come on the market that is better. My starting point will always be a good T5 tube. I, w I won't I won't name brands because we don't want to get into a fight. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's it's um, inappropriate for me to do so, but there are really good brands of T5 UV tubes, um, more than one manufacturer, but we, we know which we like best, yeah. and that would be my starting point, to provide UV. Um, and my, I, can't, I kind of wish you would name them. <laughs> no, no, I can't, I won't. He'll um, message us after. Yeah, <laughs> but that would be a good a T5 tube to to get, um, and I'm not too fussed about the power because 
we actually don't know how much power they need. We don't actually know how much they use, but we do know that without it, most animals don't flourish as well. Um, and th there's always a bun fight going on, but that's my view. Um, and for all my animals, I would provide it, even if they were nocturnal whole lovers, I would still provide it. Because sometimes they will come out and use it. Um, for daylight, the choices are just massive now. Um, when oh, 15 years ago, the choices weren't so great. Halide lamps were the number one choice. They were complicated to use, they were fragile, they were high voltage, and they were effing expensive. Um, no, but now almost, the... almost swore. Oh, I know, I'm oh, careful there. Oh. But if it means another tenor. Um, <laughs> Now some of the, the LEDs coming out um, are just excellent, but they're coming out in different colours, in different colour temperatures, and LEDs can't be produced in colour temperatures because of technology. The only thing can, where you can have a proper colour temperature is something that is incandescent, and it's a tungsten lamp or a carbon-based lamp. So do, do here's a question. Do you think UV will ever be, or UVB, will ever be produced by an LED lamp? Do you, do you think it's possible? Well, it, it already has been, but it's damn expensive, I, 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 isn't it? Um, yes. Um, the technology as I'm seeing at the moment, the answer is not now. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It'll happen. Okay. It's just miles away. Yeah. Be, or the, I may, it may not be... Uh, LED. There may be some other technology that produces light that produces UV. But right yeah. now, I, I, there isn't a viable LED product out there. Um, but for the visible light, there's shed loads of good lamps. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I think both Fran and I are veering to the side that actually LEDs are going to be really good. And if you don't want a lot of heat in your vivarium, because heat, you know, any power you put in, some of it comes out as light and the rest comes out as heat. So mm -hmm. the more lumens you get per watt, the better the lamp. And mm -hmm. LEDs produce by far the greatest amount of lumens per watt. And, yeah. and there's some really bloody good ones out there. Um, mm -hmm. And there's new ones coming out every week. Um, so I would just check what's out there and uh, choose one of them. Um, as far as infrared... And I've, I've, having said that, in I've got two quarantine vivs which I had for um, a my bearded dragon, which which was in the greenhouse, and for my shinosaurus. Oh, I forgot to say I've got shinosaurus in the in a dome as well, cohabiting with the uh, with the spotted turtles. Um, Very nice. Uh, yeah, the flipping things disappear and you don't ever see them. How I've do they a... how do they fare in the colder weather? They hibernate. Yeah. They just hibernate. All, the, all the way, all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. They just what they do in China and Vietnam. Um, I think they came out sometime in April. They went down in September and disappeared in April. But uh, I, I caught them and I put them into the quarantine tank just to make sure they were, that, that everything was uh, okay um, and fit and healthy. Uh, and then I, yep. they're back out. And I see them once every month. 
<laughs> Anybody want a pair of Shinosaurus? <laughs> <laughs> They're fit and healthy. They're just living like wild animals. Yeah. Um, have you have you have you reared most of? A quick question: Have you reared most of your animals outside, or yeah. are there any that you've 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 managed to? My first uh, turtles I treated with kid gloves, and I brought them on indoors. Yeah. And their shell growth wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't even. But do, 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 do you find the transition from going from from inside to a, to a controlled in, from a controlled environment into uh, almost the wild outside? Do do you find the transition oh, is easy enough for them, or do you do you, do you that, see sort of quite that stressful is or a superb question? Let we'll come back to the infrared because we need to cover that. The, <laughs> the um, do not underestimate the intelligence and the psychology of reptiles. They they are brighter than you can think. They are. Um, not very good at facial expressions or giving physical cues that mm-hmm. you and I would respect or understand or, or recognise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but when when you've had a pair of animals for thirteen or fourteen years, mm-hmm. you get. And if you've got few animals, and if if you know you haven't got hundreds, you've got twenty or thirty, mm-hmm. um, and you get to know their behavior. So mm-hmm. let me, you, you said, what if you're introduced to them outside? The animals I have, have all had spells outside. They are familiar with what the blue stuff is above them. And mm-hmm. they are familiar with weeds and rocks and rain and insects and birds flying overhead and cats looking through them. They're familiar with all of that. They get mm-hmm. it and they know when to hide and when not to hide. Mm-hmm. I've taken on rescue animals, one of which was a box turtle. And that animal had been raised all its life in a small um, enclosure. And when I put it in the greenhouse, it wouldn't come out. It didn't Mm -hmm. for three months. Um, And it wasn't until I started giving it a smaller enclosure that it started moving about. It had Mm -hmm. claustrophobia. Not claustrophobia, yeah, claustrophobia. Was mm-hmm. it agrophobia? One of the two. It didn't. It was scared of the outside. Agrophobia. Agrophobia. It was mm-hmm. scared of the outside. And I've seen other animals that have had that same nervous feature. And mm-hmm. it's it's simply be kept kept in a stupid small box. They've not been stimulated mentally for for years. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a prisoner you've kept in a small cage, and you suddenly give it outside. It, it, I'm sure it'd be knackered. Same mm-hmm. thing with turtles. And I'm, sh- I'm sure it's the same thing with every reptile. If it's been mm-hmm. kept in a small box and you put it in a big one and it's, it's outside, then yeah. you start giving it fear. Now, if you're mm-hmm. doing that with rehomed turtles and you're putting them outside in a pond, then the mortality rate is massive mm-hmm. simply because they're not, A, never seen a pond before, don't recognise food. It's flipping colder than it was inside. What is that mm-hmm. big white stuff above? Mm-hmm. What is everybody looking at me for? I'll jump in the water and it never feeds. All of that stuff. So 
Um, the transition depends on how well you know your animal and how well you brought it. All of my animals I can bring indoors and outdoors and they would be fine. Okay, so so serious question. If I was to take, let's say, one of my, uh, let's say one of the Asian rat snakes or something like that, and I wanted to put them in an enclosure outside, what would be the best tip you could give me from making that transition just to make sure that animal isn't too stressed when it initially moves? Give it plenty of hidey holes and make mm -hmm. sure it can't escape. Right. So lots of lots and lots of cover, lots Privacy. of hides. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Hides and with snakes, humidity. The, you mm -hmm. know, it, it, people talk about thermal gradients, but humidity gradients are also important. Mm -hmm. um, I've, seen, I've seen papers now that talked about measurement of stress with uh, thermal gradients, never talked about humidity. Mm -hmm. You know, heat and humidity go hand in hand. Um, yep. Even in the desert, and I lived in the desert, um, you go down, my tortoise, I had gopher tortoises in America, had a license mm -hmm. to keep them, and I had a big yard. My gopher tortoises dug three or four feet down, and where they were was humid, even in the desert. Wow. Um, and it was it was weird because <laughs> the, there were scorpions around. We, we always get scorpions around. And um, we thought they would go where the humidity was because I sprayed it uh, for the box turtles. Uh, mm -hmm. But the box turtles went and caught them. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> worked out really well. Um, oh, oh so, so humidity, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if you go in, outside in the UK, that won't be an issue. Or shouldn't be an issue. No. Um, give them um, privacy is the other thing, so that um, if just to make, make make them feel secure, make them feel yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, I don't handle my animals very much. The Shinish, the Shinosaurus, I've I've done it. I've been in the dome for a year and a half now. I've mm -hmm. only handled them two or three times. Mm -hmm. Don't I, they don't need to be handled? Leave them alone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they might tame up, and they might not. The yeah. eyed lizards I never handled, but they tamed up really quickly and took from the hand. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the nature of the animal. Yeah. Um, and if your rat snakes are uh, of a uh, human-friendly nature, uh, mm -hmm. then then they'll recognise you as food and come out. And then they will interact with you. Mm -hmm. And and that's a wonderful thing when you get that happening. They, cer they certainly, they certainly know me. They, they, they know me, but it doesn't necessarily mean they like me. <laughs> yeah, but, but Danny, no one likes you. I, I, I wouldn't even make that presumption. Well, um, that's because you're polite and I'm not. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, seriously, mate. I, 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 I know people say that cobras have got this extra something or other, but I, I think. There are more reptiles out there that have, if given the right environment, will interact with you in different ways that we have not yet seen, simply because nobody's really giving them the space they need. And I, I think if, if I was to put snakes in, in my dome, mm -hmm. they would start interacting. I've got a mate in Canada who's got a... Um, a, a, a fairly good place, and he's got a, a swimming pool with a, a pump and a filter system. Mm -hmm. And in the corner of his place, he's got garter snakes. Yeah. 
because it's dry and warm with the with the pump system, etc. Mm-hmm. And they're not frightened of him. They know him. They're familiar with him. So, I I I think the nature of keeping that we have in the UK and in Europe um, doesn't easily facilitate the experiences that a, a bigger environment gives. See, it's a, it's definitely interesting. I suppose it's a it's food for thought um, about you know always trying to push forward and try and do what's best for the animals rather than what's best for us. Um, well, you yeah. know, it's uh, I think every, every, I've done it a couple of times where I've gone rock. Okay, I want bigger enclosures, so I get bigger enclosures. Then I look at them for a, a bit, and then okay, I want bigger enclosures. And the, the last time I. Obviously, before I moved out of the house, I was on about turning my entire outhouse, selling all the animals and keeping GTPs in a 16-foot by 12-foot outhouse and just giving them the whole room. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I, I moved, I was separated and moved out and didn't have the opportunity. But, you know, to, to be able to give them everything that and let the animal be exactly what that animal is. You know, the, the amount of times that people call ball pythons pet rocks... Well, you know what? If you kept me in a small viv, I wouldn't move much either. Did you no. just call it a ball python? No. no. Yes, and my pet will move about. <laughs> they, they move all over the place. They, you know, the dome is quite, you know, it's quite a big surface area. And you, see, you know, I know where they'll be in spring, and I know where they'll be in winter. But in between, if they're laying eggs, then they're different pattern of activity. In the autumn, the males go walk about. Painted turtles, the males go walk about, he gets restless, and he would do what you, you know, he's looking for somewhere to hibernate. Um, and I'm sure snakes do the same thing. They don't get the chance to do that in a small small pen. Um, no, not at all. No, I yeah, it's just, I've, I've, I've always had, you know, touching more on what Dan just said, um, I've, I've always had that debate with people that you know when, when they say oh raw pythons don't move they just like to tuck themselves up against something and hide away in something you know they don't there's no point giving them a big tank because they don't ever move it's ridiculous blah 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 my my debate my argument has always been well you're, you're not setting that tank up properly then is if it, if it doesn't want to move if it doesn't want to come out then it's obviously not feeling safe or secure for whatever reason yeah, yeah absolutely um, Go about it a slightly different way, and you'll see different results. Well, yeah, it's like with the, the hog nose. Hog noses are constantly on crack, and they don't stop moving. So the animal as a species is a bad example. But the way I've created that enclosure, there's 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 wood everywhere, there's logs everywhere, so we can go underneath them, we can go on top of them. There's bits of slate, there's different substrates. I've got um, well, it, it was um, sage which I grew in there, and I purposely killed it off. Um, and that's all kinds of like, so it's got cover everywhere, but wherever it is, I can still see the animal because it's not, it's not dense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you get, if, if, if the, the hog nose wants all the UV that it can get, it can climb right up, see right underneath that tube and it can soak it all up. If it decides that it doesn't like life today and it wants to hide in the corner, but still wants that UV, it can crypt it back. It can be hidden but it can still get that UV. Um, if it needs the heat, if it needs you know that infrared, it can either be on show or it can get the same or similar temperatures by, again, being hidden still. 
And mm-hmm. to be completely honest, the the hog nose when I first I talk about this quite a lot, but when I first put the hog nose in, he was a lovely, docile, tame little worm. Mm-hmm. He's turned into exactly what a venomous animal should be like. He's horrible. Mm-hmm. He's defense. Yeah. He's, def- <laughs> he's, he's defensive. If I get too close to him, he comes charging for me. And yeah. I, like, I've never seen a hog nose act the way he does. Yeah, that's then, another one I've always then, said. But then again, how many people do you know who keeps a hog nose with a 47 degree basking spot? <laughs> this is what I've always said as well. You know, um, a lot of people, when I was on all the sort of bioactive groups and stuff, a lot of people, in fact, numerous people have said, now that I've gone bioactive and I've got a naturalistic setup, etc., my animal seems more defensive um, of its viv while it's in the viv. Um, you know, why is this? Um, and basically what, what I always used to say is you've, you've given it a territory. Yeah. You've given it a territory that it is, is that it is now protective of. Um, so, you, you, you know, um, if you keep an animal sterile, there's usually not many smells or anything like that to, 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 to really... Um, and, you, and you're constantly changing it and constantly cleaning it, whereas you give it a naturalistic enclosure and, and try and keep it the way it would be in the wild, it, it, it gets used to all these smells and all these scents and all these um, senses yeah. and stuff like yeah. that in the tank, yeah. and you're creating a, a home for it that it gets did incredibly you, protective of. Did you come to the Doncaster show last year, this year? Oh, we go to every single one. We are okay. well, Pretty well, much, well, yeah. Well, we well, to well, I remember the talk by Roman... Um, the other Roman um, from Germany about how he kept his snakes and he put little dart frogs in with them. Oh, we, we didn't we didn't go to the talk, unfortunately. We were too busy playing with raccoons and meerkats. We didn't make it. I thought he was on about <laughs> yeah. the show. Well, well, he, he, he keeps wonderfully wild, naturalistic snakes, um, and but he's introduced other animals into them that have survived mm-hmm. and. He showed pictures of where he had dart frogs sitting on the snake. And I think the two interacted together, making each other's life more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a snake may sit there, look like he's not doing anything or thinking about anything, but you know, I suspect he is. Um, he won't be doing a Christmas crossword or, or the things, mm-hmm. but, but he is in absorbing something around him. Um, um, do you like, know... Roman, do you know of Dougie Smith? No. Um, de- definitely check out his enclosures because he does the same sort of thing. He um, he, he tries to cohab different species well, he, and stuff like that to keeps, create. He keeps iguanas and ringtail lemurs together. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Reti- he, reticulated pythons he, and uh, um, geckos. Yeah. Yeah. But he gets so much strife for what he does. But he does it so well and he provides right. he provides the enclosures that are beneficial to the animals. You know, they've got all the hidey holes in the world, as yeah. Roman says. And they've got their own little territories. And majority of the time the animals choose to be together, which is which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think I think I hope got a fair way to go. I mean, I, I think AHH has done a fabulous job. I think Frances Baines with her UV has done a fabulous job. Um, what Francis Cosquery does, we're all adding a little bit to the quality of husbandry that 
we we want to sell to the general Joe public, and yeah. and I think I think it's really important to keep on doing what we're doing, um, and the fact that Chris Newman in his establishment is teaching people that will go on keep pet shops and inspect pet shops and is teaching them the basics of getting it right is so important because that mm -hmm. teaching has never ever happened. So education to me is 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 what this is all about, what this talks about, um, and selling it. Going on to the infrared. Yeah, I was just about to say, Roman infrared. <laughs> yeah. See, the, see this, this started with my turtles, because they were coming out of hibernation with the odd bit of soft flesh that got a bit of fungus on it. Couldn't work out why that was. Um, until I put them in the greenhouse, in the sun in the pond, and all of a sudden it went away, and I tried to tried to understand why. And this was what 2006, must have been. I contacted Fran, and we talked, and we realised we had very similar sort of approaches to stuff. Now we've been sort of talking to each other ever since, and um, then I realised somewhere down the line, I realised that it was infrared that mattered for me. Um, and why it mattered, and then I've, it just all of a sudden I kept tripping up on articles about how infrared was used in the war for healing wounds. You know, infrared um, just makes wounds heals quicker. And then other stuff came out about how infrared interacts with UVB and light, and then the circadian cycle. And so all of a sudden, all this light stuff started coming together as a story. Um, and then I realised it was one particular kind of infrared, the infrared A, that was most valuable to the animal. Um, and, I, and I found a couple of charts that showed that a particular wavelength around 800 nanometers, which is the infrared that you can't see in coals in a bonfire, um, that can penetrate the deepest into the body. And that's why we enjoy the sunshine. It's actually warming us on the inside. And so... Then I thought, that's the light we should be providing for our animals. For exothermic animals, yeah. And then I realised, well, what lamps do that? Then I found that tungsten halogen was the perfect lamp. Because it had a very similar curve to the sun. And you, there were lamps that um, had various Kelvin temperatures of operation. Um, and then I realised that the... the Tungsten, um, the halogen lamps that were least efficient produced the most nice heat. And, you know, I was, I was talking to Francis, actually, because we end up talking to each other around midnight. I've had this idea, and I'll give her a ring. What do you think? Is this stupid? She said, oh, I never thought of that. And we, we, we bounced each other off. And I, then, then I said, I've just had a light bulb moment, Fran. And, and that was literally it. We need to choose the most the least efficient tungsten halogen lamp for the perfect basking lamp. And then, then I started doing tests. And then another part of the jigsaw came in. And that part of the jigsaw is that keratin, the stuff that the skin is made of and scoots are made of, has got the same qualities as glass in terms of light transmission or infrared transmission. And glass 
has, as you know, gives us a greenhouse effect. It passes some light through, infrared lamp, and when that light, light, all light, hits the greenhouse floor, it gives off energy, and that longer wavelength now can't get out the grass. And I realized that the same thing was happening with keratin. And then I found a whole load of articles about penguin feathers and about how um, polar bear skin works and how polar bear fur works. It's exactly the same, and it's exactly the same stuff. Um, and then, then the thought process, and I did some experiments that showed it and showed just how much more heat was trapped. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Just how much heat was trapped after the light went through the keratin. So when an animal is basking in, infra, in the good infrared, infrared A, it's, it's, it's gaining heat in a very efficient way because it's capturing the heat and then not letting it escape again. Okay. And that's just like the greenhouse effect. And the experiments that I showed um, in my talks, um, to your shame that you missed, the experiments showed that um, something that might be outside at 17 or 18 degrees might be 30 or 40 the other side of the keratin. It's a really efficient trap. So when turtles are basking they're trapping that infrared using blood to pump it to the internals so when they go fishing um, for food in the afternoon they stored a big load of heat like a, a storage heater so i suppose as well from thinking about that if we are using more efficient bulbs for what we've been talking about this evening we haven't actually got to keep our animals as warm as we do because they're they're almost going to be self-heating and trapping that heat themselves. Well, you provide them the wavelength they need. It's providing the wavelength that's important. Mm -hmm. It's not the heat, it's the wavelength. And they can decide how long they sit in it. Now, the complication to this, and you're hearing it here first, if you've got a, a fat as anything snake, let's let's first of all say that infrared also provides medical benefits in terms of healing, in terms of repair, in terms of interaction with the other wavelengths. Infrared is a physically important wavelength for the animal to receive in its body. Mm -hmm. So. Bearing that in mind, if you now got this heating property that infrared has with keratin, and now you've got a fat as a pig snake sitting underneath it, it will capture the heat very well, and I suspect won't stay under the heat for long because it's capturing it too well. So it's not getting the benefit of the infrared because it's overheating. Okay. Let that sink in, because if you had a fit snake that wasn't fat, it would bask for longer and get benefit from the infrared rays for health reasons, not for heat reasons. Mm -hmm. So seeing fat animals is not a good thing. It'll change their basking habits. 
So if they're not basking as much, they're neither getting the bright light for circadian cycles and they're neither getting the UV for the UVD3 synthesis. Mm. Okay, so that's interesting. Fat mm. animals is a nightmare that we haven't yet addressed and we should do. Yeah. I mean, there was a, on, on, I don't know where it was, AHH, I suppose, someone had cut open a snake and it was just a roll of fat. Oh, um, it, oh what's her name? Um, oh, Matt, uh, Matt, Matt, wasn't it? Hey, Matt, no, no. Yes. Anyway, it was, it was done. And it was, the, the image should make keepers think twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I think I think people. It's one of my pet animals. I think it comes down to, I think general advice and a lot of kind of like, I wouldn't say even old school keeping, but just kind of like just the way everyone works. You need to feed your snake every week or every ten days. I, I've I've got a Western hog nose at the moment. It's the only thing that I've I currently keep, and they've got a pretty fast metabolism. I still don't feed it, and it still mm-hmm. grows. Um, I think I've probably fed it. God, five times in the last six months, um, and it's grown. It's doubled. It's literally yeah. it has doubled in size. I, these animals don't need as much food as we think. No, they really don't. No, they don't. Um, and I, I tend not to feed. I'm a lying git. Um, I, I try not to feed them very much. My box turtles, which are outside, um, tend to fend for themselves. And these last two years, they went into hibernation lighter than I was used to, and they've come out of it all right. And I, I think I overfeed mine. Um, okay. Yeah, it's um, you're still there, Roman. You got you've gone dead. And I, when my youngsters come out, and I don't feed them till the following summer, they do very well without me adding anything into there. And in my bigger ponds, which is just all weed. Um, okay. I think we all overfeed, and it's 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 a bad habit. And I, I admit, I put my hand up. I've got it up now as we speak. I overfeed as well. Um, I think I think it's um it's an enjoyment thing, isn't it? There's there's nothing more that I enjoy than walking around a room, and feeding the animals and watching them run round or or constrict their prey and eat it and swallow it. It's I think we enjoy it, and I think that's maybe the reason why we do it that little bit too much, perhaps. Yeah, because mine are tame as buggery. All of my turtles are dead tame. I even have musk turtles coming up to feed. I mean, I don't know if you've ever kept musk turtles. You never see them when you put them in a pond. Mine come up. But it's three years it's taken for them to become confident enough. You know, when you see... when you see experiments on animals and reptiles in particular, and they say we put it in, let it settle down for a couple of hours, well, that ain't good enough. If you want to do an experiment on a reptile, let it settle down for a couple of months. Because they all take ages. They're just slower in doing stuff. Slower to get sick, slower to get better. Patience, I think, is really important in this hobby. So, infrared, fantastic stuff. Um, and we are now getting manufacturers producing equipment now that is more appropriate for, for the need. I still think the tungsten 
a tungsten lamp is the best source of basking there is for reptile simply because of its wavelength. There are a couple of products out on the market now, now that have been for the last couple of years, that are not tungsten lamps, but they're a carbon filament lamp. Mm -hmm. And you can you can see that they are carbon filament lamps because they don't have glass on the front. Remember when I said about the greenhouse effect, about infrared A going through the glass, but not infrared B going through the glass? Mm -hmm. Well, carbon filament lamps tend to produce more infrared B. And infrared B is tuned for heating water. It's the same length, it's the same wavelength as the water molecules uh, are sensitive to, to that wavelength. So infrared B is, is really important as a heat source, um, but it won't travel through glass. Glass blocks it. So those lamps that produce infrared B have got a mesh in front of it. Those same lamps also produce infrared A, but not as much as tungsten. Um, but the, the ones with the mesh on the front, the carbon filament ones, also don't produce much light. So if you want to illuminate um, a viv at night, or heat it at night, the carbon filament lamps, heat lamps, are suitable for that. And they do a fantastic, a lot of people swear by them because they do produce infrared A. But when an animal is basking, it wants to have both cues, visible, strong visible light and the infrared. Um, so, so now we've got quite a, a, a selection of great products um, that have, for, for basking, both tungsten halogen based lamps and also carbon filament based lamps. Both do a good job, but one is more suitable than the other for different um, different aspects. And, you know, um, I know that the lamp suppliers, the big, big companies, are continuously developing these lamps and continuously innovating. And I'm sure that in the next few weeks, you'll see news flashes of new lamps coming out with new ideas, which... Um, which are improvements in one way or another in reliability and brightness. I think Roman's just said that he knows something we don't know. <laughs> I always know something that we don't know. <laughs> oh, but, dear. But, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, when it comes out, you'll, if, if products come out, you'll see them um, and you'll test them and you'll make your own minds up. Um, That's good to hear. It's good to hear that the everyone is trying to push things forward. And I, I know for a short period Absolutely. of time, everyone was kind of like, this is what we've got and this is how we are and we're going to stay. Yep. And I think over the last few years, definitely, these, these the bigger companies especially, they are really pushing it. There's new products coming yep. out. Yep. Um, the, you know, we're blessed in this country. Absolutely blessed. We've got two or three um, manufacturers that are uh, serious in, in, their, in their business, serious in trying to produce a good product um, and as far as I know are using suppliers that are um, of a good quality it's you can go to China and get cheap stuff you can absolutely do that and undercut the the big products you've got in the UK but what you don't have is a quality stuff remember I once at the beginning I said I, I dealt with um, 
qualification and signing stuff off as it's made that it's right. Well, part of that problem is is that you get the specification right, you get the product process right, and then you make the product against that process. And if you've got any of those three wonky, you're not going to get in the box what you thought you were buying. Um, so if you if you go to a supplier that is less reputable, perhaps in in the east, where they might change part of the spec without telling you, which has happened, then you're going to be putting products on the be on the on the benches in the UK, whose pedigree you don't really know. Mm, so my sad. my strongest advice is, you know, buy from um, buy from manufacturers whose pedigree you know. No, it makes a lot of sense. I know I talk to quite a few of our American listeners, and they they moan. Um, like even like even the, the big companies like Arcadia, they are in America, but it's really hard to get hold of Arcadia products. And I think sometimes it's the technology that's holding them back as well. With they they do want to advance, but they just don't physically have the technology. It's not being exported over there. Arcadia. Apparently, it's it, they're not the um, the easiest of companies to find. They're not in every local oh, reptile shop. Just a plug here, Arcadia will be represented in our um, in our conference in New Mexico in September. Okay, cool. It's good to hear. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if any new products will be there or what products will be there, but they certainly will have one of their supply distributors there. And we're very pleased to see him. That's good. That's good. Good to hear. I know. Um, and, and, and there was. Um, I think it was Eric Burke had a um, Rally Path from Radio. They had a show the other day, and they were talking about lighting and that kind of thing. Um, and they were they, they were discussing that it's uh, we seem to have a lot more of a upmarket, and there's a lot more products over here, and they kind of struggle on that half. Um, but that was only from what I've gathered from a, a couple of people. So I might may be wrong, but. But hopefully they can get the products out there. One of the problems is that they have the 110 volt system and we have a 230, 240 volt system or 220 volt. Mm -hmm. I think there's a bit of a delay on the connection. Is he gone? So a particular kind of in this country may be different. Sorry? What yeah, was that? No. Yeah, no, I was just saying um, it's, 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 it's a big deal changing the voltage difference. Oh, no, um, no, because of the, the the radiation curves, you've got to change the filament size, you've got mm -hmm. to change the filament diameter, the filament length, and yeah. then the the nature of, because it's a double coil or a triple coil or, or a, a double coil that's wound in a helix, then you change your size, so then you've got to talk about how you support this thing when it's turned on. Um, and there's a, there's a whole new science in just filaments and if you change the voltage mm -hmm. you're screwing up all that science yeah it's really hard to develop yeah it's a shame really well, well it is a shame um, and it costs a fortune to develop yeah yeah it's not it's, you're not just changing one thing are you you're, you're no, changing no, the entire thing the entire yeah. package yeah yeah and because uh, then the heat you're producing is different so the glass mm -hmm. that you're using has to be different and the yeah. bulb that holds the filament has to be different and so the yeah. it's hard um yeah and i know the guys are trying 
um, and and we try and help them as much as we can. Um, a yeah. lot of good work being done by all the companies. Definitely. Okay, then, Matt. Um, we're getting a little bit close towards the end now. Um, okay. So we're going to have to boot you off in a minute. Um, but before we do that, is there anything that you want to add or any advice that you want to give to people that do want to push their husbandry forward? Oh, shit. Ooh. Oh, there it is. There it is. That's another 10 quid. Another 10 quid. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be skinned by the end of this. Excellent, excellent. But you know can you, what? Can you please not swear so much? Thanks. <laughs> I, I, would, I would think, don't expect to be an expert overnight. All of us old parts have had an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we've done a lot of things wrong in our time, made mistakes, but never failed to admit to them and never failed to learn from them. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first thing. You don't expect to come on the site and be an expert. You've got to do your stuff. You've got to have an apprenticeship in keeping. And if you could be apprenticed to someone that knows what they're talking about, all the better. And AHH is great. There's loads and loads of wise people up there. you just got to listen to them. Um, the next one is patience. With reptiles, you've just got to be patient. Give them time. Don't mm. rush them. Don't expect them to be pets overnight. No. And give them space. Space and, and, and natural. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, and I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people here, the work and the presentations that you and Fran have done over the last few years, you've helped a lot of people, and a lot of people that I know personally, you've helped them push their husbandry forward. So on behalf of those, thank, thanks for your work, mate. And if you could pass that on to Fran as well. You know what's, what's best is you, you see big collections in, 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 that are using infrared where it's changing the animal's character completely. Mm-hmm. You know, success with laying eggs, success with movement, um, and just the vitality of the animal just changes dramatically just with good lighting. Really, well, I'll shut up. <laughs> okay, well, so... Okay, so before we boot you off, one last thing, mate. How the hell is Tell? How the hell is Tell? Tell fell over and broke his neck. He was just getting up for a pee, tripped, slipped, head first into the wall. That first night, it was bloody awful. Um, and it was a, a very horrible drive home. Um I was there just by chance, and there were surgeons and his wife and whatever. It was it was just bloody awful, um, and the next couple of weeks were awful because he had to lie back with his head. He couldn't move because his head was separated from his body, just except for the spinal cord, um, and his and his all the stuff around his neck was swollen up. So he was just looking up and being fed with whatever. Um, but then as 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 the swelling decreased, he had a movement of the finger. And then a couple of weeks later, there was a bit more. And then he opted to have the operation done to connect his neck to his head. Went to Salisbury and got better. And somehow, the bloke has got a spirit that I wish I had. It just, 
he absolutely amazes me. So I've followed him for years, and the, the first time that I actually got to spoke to him proper, I've said hello at Doncaster a few times, but the first time I was at, actually have a proper conversation was at Drayton Manor with him, and he was telling me about his ill health, which I had no idea half, um, really his strokes and that kind of thing. Yeah, and he he just bounces back. He anyway, he's he's is every. I go and see him every week if I can. Um, and nearly every time, there's a small change. Now, he's doing stuff he's not supposed to be bloody doing. Last, <laughs> last, last week, he moved his leg. Now, he's supposed to be disconnected from his bloody legs, but he moved it. <laughs> not supposed to do it. Um, so, he's, he's coming out. He's going to be given parole on the 23rd. If he behaves and himself. Even, <laughs> if he behaves himself, if he stops moving his legs, Eileen <laughs> um, has got to get himself get all the stuff that goes with being paralysed, um, with a wet room and a shower and hoists and jigs and special beds. So she's working like she she's be brilliant, um, and she's trying to get the um, the they have to move house, have to buy another house. So it's it's a huge, huge expense. So all the donations that people have given him have been really, really unbelievably valued. Um and both in the UK and in America. Um and there's people these even now there's a lady called Theresa Moran's gonna be doing a um an auction of, of a couple of leather bound books signed by every contributor. Um only two copies to be available. Um, really special thing to bid for. It's on the web. If you can find it, um, it'll be on Tell's webpage. Um, if you want to bid, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, what it'll come to. But if you've got money, go for it. There'll be special books. Um, so anyway, he'll be back on. He'll be out on the twenty third. And we were already thinking about what we're going to do. Um, we're thinking about Viv. We've talked about what animals you'll keep, um, and we're thinking maybe some of those um, stellias, the uh, the little Turkish agamas that uh, mm -hmm. people keep going on about, going on about. And uh, I think Ben Owens has got some. So if we get the if we get it in time, we might be going begging for some um, some of those to put in his greenhouse because they'll be big enough to come up, and they'll be tiny enough to come to him. Um, in his green in, in his wheelchair, and mm. he, I've got some of his animals at home in in my stuff. So um, they'll go back, and I'll, he's got some of my painted turtles, and they'll go back. So he's, you know, make no bones about it. He still has trouble holding things. He still has trouble um, moving around in the wheelchair. He's got to find the right wheelchair. There's a shitload of stuff that goes with being paralysed. That's another tenner, Dana. Um. Yeah, and <laughs> and um, it it just yeah, grieves me, grieves me. Um, but he he started dabbling with paint, which I never thought he would. Uh, just you know, there's, there's something that disgusts me about that, right? So after all that he's been through, and the fact that he's having to relearn everything, yeah, he can still paint better than I can. <laughs> well, he didn't get the adder right. I told him that straight away. He missed the head off. <laughs> he did. Um, he did. Was he, he did you a birthday card, I believe? Was it? Was it yourself? Yeah, he did. Yeah, well, he, he said 
He said, how do I thank you? He said, I said, well, do me a birthday card. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> he needed a challenge. And he said, I want you to sign it. And he did. He bloody did. And I, was, I didn't show him, but I was nearly in tears when he did that. That was mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, you're obviously very close and you think a lot of each other. Um, oh, we I... were going we to go to, to um, Yellowstone Park together two years ago. And then he had this heart problem, a lung problem, so he couldn't go, so we went without him. And then this year we were going to go to India, and we booked up planes and everything. And then he goes and wakes his bloody neck. What's that all about? He's just not looking, how, he's not looking after you. inconvenient. Well, it bloody was. I told him so. <laughs> I, I think, you know what, next, next time I see him, I'll, I'll have a word and say, look, if you don't want to go on holiday with Roman... Just tell him he's your friend and he'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd rather take us instead, it's fine. We get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 well, he's 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 a he's a fine, upstanding man, and um, and I've seen him on Saturday. Um, we'll be doing some videos together in preparation for the conference. Mm, very nice. Very nice. So, because um, he's he's going to be speaking on that, but uh, if we can get the video link to work, but we're doing some backup videos for the can't because he'll be he's, we're thinking about doing a new book for him, and um, he's got so many stories to tell to tell, all of them, everything from Steve Irwin's bloody monitor lizard to um, the Mad Snake Man in Drayton Manor Park. Mm -hmm. So he's got mm -hmm. all these paintings with with stories behind him, and the, and the idea is to um, put a book together that tell the story of the painting, which I think will be fascinating. Definitely, I'd, I'd definitely be up for buying that book, hundred percent. And so, um, his first foray into exploring this will be um, in America, where we'll do two or three talks on each of his paintings, and we'll video them. And he'll be part of the uh, new uh, New Mexico Shirakawa Museum uh, presentation. Which will be fantastic, I think. Gary Ferguson's there as well. But enough. Time for you to go to bed, and I've got another <laughs> glass of wine. Now. Oh, rebel. <laughs> Rocco, well, I really appreciate you taking the time this evening and coming on talking to us. Um, you've spoken. How much are you going to cut out of this? None. None? Nothing? Zilch. Re Re Reptile and Chill doesn't edit. We, we, always, we already know it's, we, we always know it's a good. We've got a good guest on when me and Hoss can sit there contently, silent. You know what? It's, it's, I've got to admit, right? I don't. I set up and I put all the beers. I, I, I just bring the crate and I put the side them to the side of me on the left. And normally I don't get through that many because I'm talking. I've drank shit loads. <laughs> Excellent. See, I've only had the one glass of wine. What's, uh, what's, you, you've been talking too much. You, you, you're not passionate about drinking, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm not as passionate <laughs> as bloody human, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Well, anyways, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, oh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll, yeah. ca we'll catch yeah. up with you soon. And just before you go, Roman. Yeah. I love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> snugs, snugs. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, buddy. Take care, mate. Hang up when you're ready. Take care. Bye.
<laughs> oh mate, um, what a, a heap load of information. Yeah, I've um, I, I I definitely have taken a few things away from that. Hundred yeah, percent, and I really hope the listeners have as well. Yeah, so Ro- Romans, um, he's he's a gentleman, and he he, he speaks very well, um, and I really under- misunderstood the whole UV infrared thing, and I didn't, couldn't really get my head around it. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I, I listened to him explain it, and mm-hmm. he goes into so much detail, and then goes into more detail about the detail, and. Uh, it really did make me start to understand. I still don't have a bloody clue with what he's on about. <laughs> um, but I've got more no. But he tries a... to explain. He tries to use um, analogies that that you, you you already do understand, like you know, with the speakers thing. Um, yeah. I think it's like a long-winded thing that you'd really have to sit I, down. I think, well, you, you've, over, but... you've known me for God too many years now, and you've seen how my setups were years ago. Mm-hmm. If you look at how I heat and light my enclosures now, you can see, now we explain that, you can see that I've got my halogen, I've got mm-hmm. my T5, and I've also got my LED as well, you know, to, mm-hmm. to create that full spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it is difficult to get your head around, but the, the best thing to do is, any of the listeners are kind of just a little bit confused about what's happened with this podcast, break it down into sections, take some notes, ask questions, and I'm more than, well, I'm positive that Roman will answer. You know, message him and ask him the questions because he's done it to me. He's done it to many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to bother him, I'm probably not the best person to start trying to explain things, but I will <laughs> as much as I can. If yeah. not, there are some people that I've got friends who will explain it better than I can. Um, mm-hmm. But it is interesting. I think it's it's the modern day keeper. But it's took a bloke who's nearly 70 to explain to the modern day keepers how to be a modern day keeper. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it. He's, he started keeping, as he said, sort of in the late 70s. Um, so you go, you know, you're going back a bloody, he's been keeping animals for a bloody long time. Um, so it's take, you know, you, you can say, you can safely say he's a very, very, very experienced keeper. Um, so if you, if you do want to know anything, about that kind of thing he's he's your man um but yeah along with along with francis baines she her knowledge on lighting is absolutely where have you gone no really phenomenal you just jumped she, off a little bit she then. she can tell you anything it doesn't matter what your question is she can explain it definitely everything 100 percent. right okay so we've got six minutes left and we've got I just what Six minutes left and a three-minute song to play. Um, so I think that's about it for this week on Reptile and Chill. Thank you for listening. Um, I do hope it hasn't been too heavy for everyone um, and that you do understand what the hell went on. Um, I'm going to have to listen to this about four times before I actually understand what <laughs> has been said. Um, but if you like this podcast, <laughs> then check it out on iTunes, Spotify, and most other decent podcasting platforms. If you want to help support us, please head on over to reptileandchill.bigcartel.com and look at our hoodies and t-shirts for sale. Carpet Fest is the 3rd of August, and tickets are absolutely flying out along with the t-shirts. If you want tickets, or if you want the t-shirts, you can head on over to that Big Cartel address as well. It's looking to be an absolutely fantastic event. I am really, really excited for it, and I, I just I cannot wait. It needs to be the third of August now. Um, 
obviously all the money that we raise <laughs> is going to Mental Health UK. Um, I think this is going to sound a bit weird because I think there's a bit of a delay with the collection, the connection for some reason, and Danny's laughing in really strange places. Um, but yeah, that... I think so because I'm saying something and you're like, "What?" And it's not nice. It's, it's yeah, at the wrong time. Definitely. Apologies. Definitely. Um, but that is about it for this week. Um, over to you, Danny Roy, for the song. Oh, very, very good. Um, so the band is called uh, Ava in the Dark. Um, they're a UK-based uh, band uh, from Leeds. And the track is called Honey. Uh, this is an absolute banger. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this one yet, Hoss, but you are absolutely going to love this tune. Right then. So on behalf of myself and Danny Wells... And not Phelps. Not Phelps. No, 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 no. And Michael <laughs> Phelps, who couldn't come here because he's tugged his penis too much. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I love you, bye. Love good, you, bye. Good night. <laughs> Thank you.